Hello, I'm Phyllis Dickerson, the CEO of the African American Mayors Association, and this is our Mayors Podcast, Breaking, Breaking It, it Down. Down. There we go. And I'm here <laughs> with my co-host for today, Mayor Van Johnson from the great city of Savannah. Glad to be here. Give it up. There you go. It's been an awesome opportunity go. to be sitting next to the CEO herself uh, of the African American Mayors Association, um, and been great conversation. Been great conversation. Breaking it down sounds like a new uh, hip hop album. There you go. There you <laughs> I'm go. Here for so, it. Fifty I'm years. Here, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> so our guest today is Mayor Justin Bibb. You know, most people don't know that Justin's a little bit older than people think he is. Yeah. They thought he was a teenager. Everyone thinks I'm eighteen. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So no, we, we met the 18-year-old mayor. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you, not, that's not you. I look better than him. That's right. <laughs> uh, but funny story, when I was campaigning two years ago to become mayor, uh, the first question people asked me was, are you old enough to run for mayor? Wow. I said, yeah, I'm 34. Right. But- you know, maybe if I don't become mayor, I'll run for president at 35. So that was that was well, a running Great joke. mayor of <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio. Yes. Cuyahoga County. That's right. Great place. Cold place. Best location in the nation. That's right. Go Browns, right? <laughs> Go Browns. All right. So today we're going to be talking about economic development and black wealth, right? And so sometimes as mayor, people, we talk up, you know, we use this jargon like black wealth and economic development. So what does economic development and black wealth go together? When they go together, what does that really mean? Like define that for us. To me, it means empowerment and agency. Um, I think about the experiences that I I saw growing up in Cleveland from my parents. Um, My parents divorced when I was four. Uh, My dad, uh, was a high school dropout uh, after uh, he left high school, went off to Vietnam to serve in the Vietnam War, was a diver in the Navy, came back and went to the police academy and the firefighter academy at our local community college. And that was our pathway to the working middle class. Think about my mom, who could barely read or write when she graduated from high school, uh, was a nurse's assistant for nearly a decade, and then in second grade, uh, she, you know, she decided to go back to community college. So I saw her as a second grader. I saw her figure out how to write a paper, how to type a paper, how to study. And she rose from being uh, at community college to getting her master's in social work at Cleveland State. And so it's about agency, it's about empowerment, and it's about having the freedom to live a life of dignity and, and respect. And to me, that's what black wealth and economic development is all about. So, and the, the picture of black wealth ha, ha, has shifted. You see folks that are doing really, really well. But then you see folks that, for some reason, the dream has never reached their doorstep. What are you doing in Cleveland to try to help close that gap, understanding full well that many of the factors involved you don't control? You know, I, I think for, for my generation, we have to redefine what the American dream and black wealth really is. Uh, I think for my grandparents, for them, it was leaving the segregated South and, and, and making a way out of no way and coming up north to cities like Cleveland, Chicago, Gary, Indiana, Pittsburgh, you name it. And for them... It was, can we get a good paying job, retire with a pension, pay off our mortgage one day, send our kids off to college, right? I think that was, the, that okay. was their American dream. Then I think for my, my parents, for them, it was, 
how do we make as much money as we can to leave the city, go to the suburbs, right? Um, and create that level of black wealth. Now I think we're seeing a different um, generation, my generation say, uh, how do we go back to our cities and not just maybe, you know, have a business or own a home where we were born and raised in cities like Cleveland or Atlanta or DC or Chicago, but how do we also buy back the block so that we curate real generational wealth? Um, And I think that we've had for a long time this challenge, particularly in the black community, about the long-term wealth play or the short-term wealth play. Um, And I think our our media environment has done ourselves a disservice in terms of not talking about the benefits of delayed gratification. So that's why, for me, it's really important when we think about public education, talking about financial literacy, stocks and bonds, how to balance a checkbook, um, how to manage online banking if you don't have a checkbook, uh, and teaching our kids early about financial literacy. It's talking about the fact that, you know, while owning one home is great, own the duplex right. and, and rent out the upstairs while you live downstairs to create residual income. And so I think we need to have a, a multifaceted conversation about what wealth means in this country and what it means for black Americans. And I think us as mayors have a unique responsibility to really drive this conversation. You know, I'm a big student of, of history. Uh, you know, I believe I'm a byproduct of the Maynard Jackson School of Politics and the Atlanta I way. think we all are. Right? <laughs> Where, you know, Maynard Jackson said, look, if you're going to build this airport, black folks got to be the engineers, right. the construction workers, the lawyers, and the accountants doing that airport. And we saw a whole generation of black millionaires we created because of Maynard Jackson. And you've seen many black mayors across the country replicate that same playbook. We got to do more of that. Uh, but it just can't be black mayors doing it either. You know, our uh, Latinx and, and other white counterparts and Asian brothers and sisters also have to replicate that playbook too because, you know, this whole country has a responsibility to make sure that black Americans are achieving the American dream and, and wealth creation is a big part of that. And so, um, you know, Van and I are a lot older than you. And well, so- no. <laughs> She's a lot older than you. You and I, just a little I think bit. I only got you by just, about a just year a little too, bit. So. Just a little bit. So, you know, our perception a lot is that in our generation that you guys are kind of what we call the Pop-Tart kids. <laughs> and it's ready to go, right? I was an Eggo Waffle guy. There you go. <laughs> like there you go. go. <laughs> and so um, how do you explain to your generation, because you kind of talked about it a little bit when you talked about, you know, working that job for 30 years and then getting mm. the pension and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Your generation really is not feeling that, right? So how do you convince them that the process does work? Um, it may work differently in your generation, but um, our perception is you guys skip from job to job every two years. And so the wealth will never be built because you're just looking for the next, we call it gig work, right? Um, so talk a little bit about how do you address those issues in your city? I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's all of the above. It has to be because uh, the nature of our economy has, has changed so much. Um, think about the fact that, you know, for my parents, it was the status quo to work at General Motors or the school district, or the hospital, or be a firefighter or a police officer for 30 plus years, get your pension, you're golden. 
Um, and I think there's a, a lot of nobility uh, in that line of work, in that profession, and staying somewhere for that long. Think about the, the public service workers that work for the city of Cleveland that have been there for decades. That would be their past time that I'm probably mayor um, because they know it's a great career with great benefits. But I think for, for our generation, you know, I, I'm guilty of that. I, I had a handful of jobs since I graduated from college in 2009. Because I was on this constant pursuit. Did you say 2009? Stop that. Okay. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't say 2009. Okay. I was on this constant pursuit to pursue careers that gave me the most diverse experiences I could to one day be in public service. So I think the nature of our, of our economy has changed. I think the biggest thing I would tell people, whether you are in my parents' generation or millennial or the generation coming behind me, find your why and just stick to that. And the, and, and the money will work itself out, in my opinion. I truly believe that. Um, and I think if you're just pursuing a career just for the money or wealth, you're going to be miserable and unhappy. But if you find your why early and, and chart out your career that way, that's the best way to not only be happy, but have purpose, and the wealth will come. It's been said, Mayor, that um, the, the generation now will be the first to do worse than their mm. parents. Um, and you talked a little bit about the importance of land. And I'm in my city, and I'm sure in cities across the country, uh, grandmama and granddaddy had that house. Mm. And, uh, you know, we sell the house yeah. for far less than what it's worth. And then we have to move to the suburbs yeah. without recognizing that the source of the wealth passing it on to your children's children we're selling away and people are taking that same land and they're turning it into something that we can't even afford to come back to. Right. And, you know, and so people talk about it in the phenomenon that is, is, is development, but it's also voluntary displacement. I'm mm -hmm. selling my mm -hmm. birthright. And so I wanted to know your thoughts about that and how do we convince people that, you know, land builds wealth and not money. Mm -hmm. The car, you know, get the land, you know, forget about the car, get the land. Yeah. I think what you're speaking to is, is this, uh, this, this idea of how are we protecting and building assets and learning the value of managing assets over time. Right. Um, I think that goes back to financial literacy and financial education. Now, my grandmother just passed away last year. We're sorry. At the ripe young age of 93. Oh, bless She you. went home with Jesus on her birthday, which was oh, an amazing wow. thing. And the the same house that she got when she moved up here from the south, south is the same house that she died in that is still in our family name. Now, it's not worth a whole lot. And, but, <laughs> but, but that's on me as mayor to change the trajectory of, it can be. of that neighborhood. And it will be. And it will be. And we're going to make a difference. We're going to make that change. But I've made a commitment with my uncles uh, and my aunties and my cousins to say, we are keeping this house in our family name because we have an obligation to hold down the block to the best of our ability. But as black, as black families, we don't have that conversation a lot. No. We don't want to talk about death. We don't talk about life insurance. You want to talk about life insurance, who's getting mama's house, all of those things. And sometimes our parents think that, you know, they want to split everything up equally with 
all the siblings, right? Yeah. When only one can really afford to <laughs> raise the house, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, how did you have that tough conversation with your with your family? Like, because somebody's gonna want to sell it because they need they need yeah. to share the money. I think the, the 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 stark reality of death makes you have uncomfortable, hard conversations. And I think we've seen it in other members of our family when they didn't have a plan. What happens when you don't have a plan? You know, when you got to pass around the hat to figure out who's going to rob Peter to pay Paul. Or that GoFundMe account. Um, and I had to have an honest conversation with my mother. Uh, I bought my first life insurance policy when I was 22 years old. Wow. wow. My mom says, why are you spending $130 a month on life insurance? I says, mom, I can get run over by a bus tomorrow. And all those student loans that I had to, you know, take out to pay for college, that's going to be on you. And so if the Lord calls me home before you and by the grace of God that doesn't happen, I want to make sure you're good. We don't have that conversation, right? I took out another life insurance policy of my mother because I wanted to make sure that even if she left her job and retired and didn't have life insurance, that she was going to go out at her home church and go out looking good. In style, style, right? In style. That's right. And I've just seen so many instances in my neighborhood and folks that I know where they didn't have a plan. You know, we got to get wills. We got to get life insurance. We have to build trusts. All those things need to be a part of this conversation. So it's not just home ownership, but what are the defensive financial tools you're putting in place to protect your assets over time? Because our white counterparts are doing this tenfold. Yes. They talking about life insurance in middle school. They, they, have, they have the will sitting around the table. Bequeath to you. Exactly. But everybody's clear. Exactly. Everyone's clear up front. Right. I mean, in Savannah, I don't know about Cleveland, but um, we have so many uh, properties that are literally a uh, person dies in testate, and we have properties that have 100 heirs. Wow. You can't find them. No. You know, because they don't even talk to each other. It's just they all over the place. Every time one of the main siblings or the children die, then all of their siblings, yep. you have to find outside kids that you don't know who they are. And it's just, it becomes a mess. So how do you get past this? So I don't know if you know, Mayor Bibbs is an attorney also, right? And so how do you get past, you know, the family piece of, just because you're an attorney don't mean you know everything. Just because you went to college, you Just think you, you know it all. Oh, this is smart. Trust me, I don't. Who he think he is? Although I'm gonna have a JD MBA, I don't. I, I tell everybody I'm not the smartest man in the room. <laughs> you still, you still right. Justin. I don't yeah, care what you exactly. say. You still Justin. Um, I would honestly, I think it's all about listening and building trust. Uh, and I and I think, um, you know, for me it was really, you know, my parents were divorced, predominantly raised by my mother. Um, and at an early age, she just entrusted me to be the man of the house. Are you an only child? Only child. My mom's only child. I have an older half brother. And I remember, um, you know, we, uh, we were struggling to, to, to make ends meet when I was in high school. My mom was saving every dime she had. I was caddying at a country club to save up for her, to buy her first home because she had never had her own home. We had apartments. We lived in, you know, Grandma's duplex for a long time, uh, and I would stay with my dad's on the weekends. But when she bought that first home, I saw how the light went off of her. But this is this is this is what I'm doing for my son. And even now, she's complaining. Well, this is your house now because I'm getting old. I ain't got time to <laughs> fix that gutter, fix that <laughs> roof, fix this kitchen. 
And I said, I'm excited about that because this is an asset we're going to have now. Right. And it's appreciated in value. So I'm like, okay, we got some real equity and we got skin in the game. And so um, it's about trust. It's about listening. And it's about um, really embracing the struggle and just going on that learning journey as a family. I think that's the big part of it. Because I do think we take for granted. Um, I always lived in a house. Yeah. And I think we do take it for granted when we grow up in a house. Yeah. And so then we're like, oh, I'm in, I don't need a house. I'll just go get an apartment. Like we take it for granted. But what, what, I think people that don't grow up in a house do really kind of appreciate it more. Yeah. And you have a piece of, of the world. It's yours. Yeah. No one can take it away. Yeah. And maybe that might be a great opportunity for Alma. Maybe we all need to do in our cities at the same time a whole a conversation about about uh, about life planning. Because that's really what that's it true. is. Um, you know, I mean, we need to all have the same conversation in all of our cities as, as a national initiative because um, we're all, no matter every, every city you go in, it's the same thing. We don't talk about it. And then families are broken up because these things destroy families. They don't, people don't talk to, to each other anymore. They're done because grandmama didn't have a plan. Or granddad didn't have a plan. Or mama thought she was going to live forever. And so, you know. Or if they had a plan or how, like, you can't find it when they, when they die because they hit it somewhere else. The people, people don't want to die. Because they paranoid. The people, <laughs> right. No, cause, no because cause the aunt went in the house and found it. <laughs> but I don't see no plan. <laughs> I don't have a plan. So, yeah, I mean, so maybe that could be a, an opportunity for us because, um, you know, uh, our cities don't do better until. Uh, folks in our mm-hmm. cities do better. So just FYI for the listening audience, we did get a uh, grant to talk about economic development. Mm-hmm. And so it's an economic mo- uh, mobility right. leadership institute that we're building out to see if it works across cities, whether they're big, me- medium size or small. And we're going to look at, we picked nine cities to pilot and we're going to look at everything from Was Cleveland on that list? Cleveland's not on the list and Savannah's you, not either, you, but it's you, okay. You pay drama dues? <laughs> I pay my dues. I pay my dues too. I wonder why we're not. I think this interview is over. We done. <laughs> so we're gonna look at home ownership. Yeah. Uh, wills and trusts. I think it should be eleven student loan debt. What do you think? Cleveland, Savannah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, student loan debt. <laughs> um, uh, debt in particular as a whole. Yeah. Um, and you talked about insurance, heirs, property. All those things we're going to cover because, to your point, we don't um, have wills in place and that kind of thing. And so one of the tools that we're going to use is out of Detroit, Independence Bank. The CEO built the tool where you're going to put your information into the tool and it spits out your will. That's a black-owned bank, right? Yeah, Yeah. a black-owned bank. And so we're partnering with them and we're going to make the information available to all of our alma mayors to see if the pilot works. And then we can go back to the funder and prove our data works. And And then we can have Savannah (laughs) and Cleveland in the group. I I, I would only agree with it if, if Cleveland is next and then Savannah after that. Okay, got it. Thank you, brother. No Got to look out for see, you. See what an alpha man does. You see? There you go. The alpha man. There we go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you didn't mention that. Yeah, I thought you knew. I didn't. Did I? Maybe. Maybe not. I know now. No, we know now. And so let's talk about Justin personally. Now that you brought Uh-oh. up alpha. Uh-oh. And so he's a handsome, single, <laughs> black man. So how do you balance like work, life, 
balance when, when, <laughs> when you can be considered maybe a chick magnet. To I, don't, I don't know about all that. Uh, it's hard. I'm a work in progress. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I, I try to carve out as much time as I can on the weekends. Try to leave uh, Friday evenings open to get dinner with my boys. Sundays, I try to get to church with my mom. Uh, we go to brunch on Sundays. And uh, I try to work out as much as I can, too. But as mayor, it's hard to find that me time. But I need it uh, because you have to find that restoration time to reflect, to grow, to process. And if you don't invest in yourself, you can't be an effective leader, as I'm sure you know, in your role as mayor as well, too. There you go. That's true. See? See? So what keeps you up at night? Um, for me, it's public safety. You know, just um, last week, I lost nearly seven people due to homicides in one week in my city. Uh, we had a mass shooting, which was a domestic incident. Four people were killed in a home. Then uh, uh, several days before that, an 18-year-old boy was shot and killed in front of uh, nearly 20 people at a bus stop in front of my mom's alma mater and the neighborhood I grew up in. So those are the things that are hard for me to, 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 to wrestle with as mayor. Um, but I still have a lot of hope and optimism that uh, we are bringing a different kind of leadership to the city uh, and that uh, this is our moment um, as black leaders to show America what real, bold, authentic leadership looks like. Uh, because if we aren't at the helms of our cities, then I don't think there's anyone more equipped than us uh, to lead. And so um, I'm reminded every day about the enormity of the job and what I have to do as mayor to lead my city with grace and dignity every single day. How does it feel to be someone to grow up in a city um, and become the best of that city? Um, well, how, how does that feel? It's humbling. Um, but I'm, I'm very blessed, right? I, you know, I, I think about one or two bad decisions by my mom or my pops or me, I wouldn't be here right now, right? And so I don't take it lightly. I don't take it for granted. Um, I, I believe that I'm here to represent the people. You know, I'm, you know, the people, the, the, the seat belongs to the people, not, not me as mayor. And so um, every day I'm reminded about how humble I am to serve as mayor of this great city. But there's so many Justins yeah. that are walking around <clears throat> that with the right nurturing and yeah. the right affirmations yeah. and the right opportunities. Absolutely. You know, you become a prototype. Yeah. And the thing I like to say is that we have baby Einsteins crawling our streets every single day. But they're lacking that mentor, that teacher, that pastor, uh, that uncle, that auntie, that grandma who gives a damn, who believes in them, who's going to love them and pour into them. Um, and that we need more of that. And the thing that I, I really want us to focus on more as mayors, we have a lot on our plate. Government can't solve these problems by itself. We need to put more responsibility on our clergy, our business leaders, everyday neighbors to step up and do something. You know, we just celebrated Dr. King's birthday for MLK Day. And he talks about this notion of everybody can be great because everybody, everybody can serve. serve. Yep. It ain't just the politicians. Right. So they, they blame me for everything. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's all your fault, the right? Weather, 
the age, Browns age being high, <laughs> right? Everything. Yeah. Why, how the Browns lost? See that man? Get rid of this man. Do you think? Do you think that um, that people put unreasonable expectations on you that they would not have put mm. on um, a mayor of a different hue? Absolutely. Being young, black, um, in a leadership position um, creates a different set of expectations. And, you know, you, you both know this, being black in your respective fields, we always have to be better, show up early, leave late, always be on point. You know, and I'll never forget, I had a performance review uh, for a company I worked for before becoming mayor. And in my performance review, it said, Justin is great. He's a good leader, good executive, but sometimes he's too prepared for the job. Mm, too prepared. Think about that for a second. <laughs> How can someone be too prepared to show up every day to be their best self, to represent this firm in the way that they think they should show up? So we get dinged for being too prepared, then get dinged for being not prepared enough. Send him a letter saying, um, here's a two and too prepared. <laughs> Love, mayor, Love the mayor. <laughs> so as we close, I've asked the other mayors, What's your one word for 2023? Like, what's that word you're going to live by and why that word? Grace. Mm. Wow. Grace. Uh, as my mom would tell you, I'm probably my worst critic. Uh, I'm always uh, holding myself accountable to a very high standard and probably too hard on myself sometimes. And sometimes for me as a leader, it's hard to look at the forest amongst the trees, but I want to give myself more grace to know that I'm doing my best, that God has my back, that he's ordered my steps, and that I'm just here to be his servant to do the Lord's work. You better, pre you better preach. Yeah. Did you, you know, fan plays the piano. <laughs> Did you, can you put a hunt on uh, yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah. If you enjoy that message, come on up. <laughs> But thank you, Mayor Bills, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You are an amazing young mayor. Thank you. And we are glad to have you as a member of AMA. Honored to be a part of the community. Yes. Yeah. Welcome to the family. Look, looking forward to greater things from, from you. And, uh, Likewise. Um, keep pushing. Thank you, brother. You're doing a great job. 1119. Yes. Oh, 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 see. <laughs> 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 you would, right? There we go.